Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you didn't get a handout, raise your hand. Anybody not get a handout for tonight's study? Brother Mark's looking. All right, very good. Go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tonight. And uh, let's just take a moment and have a prayer tonight before we jump into the Bible study. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of time at the end to, to have some, some prayer um, in smaller groups as we go through our prayer sheet tonight. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for another opportunity you've given us to come into the middle of the week and come together with our church family to rejoice, to praise you, to worship you, to study your word, uh, to be challenged and encouraged from your word. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the spirit of God that lives in us and for the comfort that he brings to us, the conviction that he brings to us, and uh, just for the, the everyday uh, moment-by-moment ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are so grateful for. And Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to serve you with one another, not perfect people, flawed people, and yet redeemed people who uh, are striving each and every day to be more like you, and Lord, to be a light in this community where you've placed us as the body of Christ, Lord, to... Um, Demonstrate love in such a way to one another that the community and and those who are not in Christ would look in and they would be attracted to you because of our love one for another. That's our prayer. And as we've been studying love, we have been encouraged. We've also been challenged and convicted. And we pray that you will do the same again uh, tonight in our hearts as we study this section. In Christ's name, we pray these things. And the church said, Amen. Remember that the primary context, the context of 1 Corinthians 13, although it's often lifted out, uh, often given it at marriage ceremonies, and certainly it's applicable for that. But remember that the context is to the church, right? 1 Corinthians as a whole is written to a church dealing with issues within the church. And 1 Corinthians 13, in its context, is to... The church, uh, a church that had become very selfish and driven by self-promotion. And when we think of the word love, we typically don't think of it in biblical, scriptural, agape love context in the society in which we live. It's often thought of when it's sung about, when we hear people say it in movies and in other things. It's often used, and we were using the, the Greek words, eros would be the most common use of that in a very physical, fleshly, sensual way. Uh, maybe phileo, which is a brotherly type of, of love, maybe a family type love. But, but can we truly say that we are agape, we are characterized by agape love? By the way, um, God expects us to be characterized by agape love. Through the Spirit of God, we learn that, that love, agape love, is available to us, right, as children of God, to be able to show this type of not, not human love, a supernatural love that is only, only um, exercised 
through the Spirit of God, as we surrender and submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. So it's, it's important for us to remember that as we study that. Let me read the first seven verses just to remind us of where we've been and where we're going. Um, verse number one, of course, every time the word charity is used, it's, it's speaking of that agape love. Paul writes, So I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I would encourage you to to mark those several phrases in there where he says... Uh, I'm become a sounding brass, or I am nothing, or it profits me nothing. And then verse number four, charity or love suffers long, it is kind, it envies not, it vaunts not itself, it is not puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeks not her own, it's not easily provoked, it thinks no evil, it rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Remember that Brother Chris, taking us through the first three verses, gave us one statement that really stuck out to me and I hope to you. And that is simply that everything minus love equals what? Nothing. You can have all the greatest gifts, be the best speaker in the church, have the greatest faith. Um, you can have all the gifts and all the talents and all the knowledge. You can be filled with knowledge, puffed up with knowledge. And if you do not have love, then you are not useful to the body. You are nothing, he says. It profits us nothing. And then as we come to verses 4 through 7, we, we jump into the proofs or the actions of biblical love. So we can know... It's a test, really, right? We can know if we simply have human love, phileo love, eros love, family love, or if we have supernatural love by, by measuring ourselves against these things that is described as agape love. So he gives us this, this list. And if you want to make it really personal and bring it to the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13... We could put our church in here, our church's name in the place of love and see if it fits that way. Or if you want to get really personal, you can put your personal name in there to see if these things are characteristic of you personally. We, can it be said of, of our church that Faith Baptist Tabernacle is, is a patient church? Can it be said that we are kind Faith Baptist Tabernacle is patient. Faith Baptist Tabernacle is kind. Faith Baptist Tabernacle is not jealous of, of other bodies of Christ where God is working. Uh, Faith Baptist Tabernacle does not boast and is not proud that we are not rude, that we do not seek our own, that we're outward focused, we're not inward focused. Understand that? That we are focused on reaching people. We're focused on our community. We're not, we're not all about ourselves. That we are not rude. 
that we do not seek our own as a church, that we are not easily provoked to anger and outburst, and that we do not keep records. We do not hold grudges. So as a church, you know, it's, it's the, the application of that is to us, but also to us personally. And then that brings us to verse number six tonight. Uh, let me read it again. And we're just going to stay right in verse number six tonight. That love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So it, it's very clear. First of all, love does not rejoice in sin. This is the, the ninth thing in the list. It does not rejoice in sin. We, we can tell a lot about ourselves by what intrigues us. What, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you giddy? What makes you emotional? What captivates your emotions? What causes you to be happy and to rejoice? We, we live in a culture, look, it takes great pleasure in the sin and the failures of others. If you don't believe that, next time you're in line at Walmart, just glance over at the magazines and the reports, open the newspaper, turn on the news, it's full of gossip and full of bad news and full of scandals, full of who has recently left who, all the, all the bad about people. We live in a culture, you see, that rejoices in iniquity, that rejoices in failure, that, that re- rejoices um, and is captivated by the, the depressing and the damaging aspect of people's lives. And so many times, it's not just our culture, so many times even within the church, we are entertained by those things, by the failures of others. Scandal after scandal, affair after affair, addiction after addiction, plastered for everyone to see or talked about, especially in a small community where everybody knows everybody. How many times are we guilty of rejoicing in other people's failures? Rejoicing in the fall of other people. You see, the unchecked and the unregenerate, the unsaved mind, it's more interested in the dark stories than it is the stories of light. And what Paul wants to stress to us is that agape love, God-like love, this supernatural selfless love, it does not walk in the gutter and it does not take pleasure in the failures of other people. True love does not long for the latest news of sin. So let, let me break it down into three ways for you. First of all, true love doesn't enjoy sinful actions in others. Now we would never say that we take pleasure or, or, uh, we enjoy when other people are caught in sin. We would agree that we want righteousness to win the day as Christians, but then we sit down sometimes, if we're honest, we sat down to, to watch a movie that is twisted and presented in such a way that by the end of it, we're kind of cheering for the sinner, aren't we? The, the guy that's you know, cheating to take care of his family, cheating in a business deal to care for someone, and it's twisted in such a way. 
Anybody ever felt sorry for, and then you realize, oh, wait, I feel sorry for the bad guy? Okay, just me, just the pastor. It happens because of the way our society presents things to us, isn't it? The most popular magazines, the most popular movies, the most popular TV shows are those that rejoice in sin. And here's what I want us to acknowledge tonight, take off our halos for, for a moment and be real honest with one another and realize that we need to be careful because constant exposure By constant exposure, our discernment level is dulled. By constant exposure of something, our discernment level is dulled. And if we'll be honest, we get in the habit of constant exposure of something until finally our discernment isn't what it used to be. It's dulled down. And our our conscience, our discernment becomes lulled to sleep and we find ourselves excusing the music that we listen to. It's just casual when really it is promoting sin. Or excusing the movies or the books or the magazines that laugh at immoral things or exalt money, exalt materialism and the love of money. Sometimes people accuse accuse me of making some pretty radical statements, and I'm about to make a really radical statement, all right? So mark it down. This is a radical truth statement. When we allow ourselves to be entertained by things promoting sin, we are rejoicing in unrighteousness. Now, we would never stand up and say that. I couldn't even get you to raise your hands that you you ever do it, but... The truth of the matter is, is that constant exposure of that lulls our discernment. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5.8. For ye were sometimes, or in the past, you were darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. And then he gives this instruction. Walk as children of light. Say that with me. Walk as children of light. In other words, walk as if it's daytime all the time. Walk as if the spotlight is always on you. Walk as if someone is always in the room with you. See what he's saying? Walk as if everybody can see you in the daytime. Then look down at verse 11 and 12, same chapter, Ephesians 5, and have no fellowship... This would be a good one for you to flip over there and mark. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You preach very much of this in our society and you get tagged really quick as a legalist, don't you? But the Bible's very clear. We don't rejoice in iniquity in our our own or... In other people's. Don't participate or even come alongside of the deeds of darkness. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5. So to rejoice in unrighteousness is to take delight in the sinful actions of others. How many of you think we need the parts of scripture that we really enjoy and we also need the parts of scripture we don't really enjoy? This is one of those for us that we need, but we don't necessarily enjoy. 
because it hits home in our human flesh and our weakness. The second thing about it is that true love doesn't applaud sinful behavior in others. According to Paul in Romans 1, the approval of sin is the final evidence of a culture's utter corruption. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then he gives us a very vivid description of our day, not just our day, but certainly of our day, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, notice this, but have pleasure in them that do them. Or take joy or approve of them that do them. Paul talks talks uh, about those who, who not only practice sexual immorality, but they that go one, one step further, and that is giving hearty approval to those who practice them. We could say it like this, not only tolerate sin, but now celebrate sin. We live in a culture that doesn't just tolerate sin, it celebrates sin. Let me take it a step further. There are now in our society, quote-unquote, churches who not only tolerate sin, they celebrate sin. And then they clothe it in love. They make you think, actually, if you don't celebrate with them, and if you don't tolerate with them, you are indeed unloving. No, friend, the Bible says that true love rejoices not in sin. Rejoices not in iniquity. Promoting and celebrating sinful behavior is actually very unloving. How, how unloving would it be for you knowing that one of Wes and Amanda's children have a peanut allergy? Canaan has a peanut allergy. Can't even be around it. So how unloving would it be for them knowing that, for Miss Amanda on his next birthday to, to, to bake a peanut butter cake. And not only bring it into the house, but set it in front of him and tell him that it's something else and have him eat it. You would say, that's abusive. That's unloving. Same with our children. They, they can't, our boys can't have sugar. How unloving would it be for us on their birthday to make a cake, tell them that it's sugar-free, when really it's full of sugar and we know it's going to kill them. How, how unloving for us to not only tolerate sin with our young people, but celebrate sin with our young people, knowing the destructiveness of it. Knowing where it will lead it. No, no it's not unloving to tell the truth. 
It's not unloving to have a biblical standard. It is unloving not to tell the truth. You say, well, we just live in a different, net, a different day. No. <laughs> have you read this book and all that was involved? In fact, I'm going to take you to a scripture in 1 John chapter 3. John the Apostle was writing this epistle during the days when the Roman Empire glorified sexual experimentation. When the elite Roman citizens considered bisexuality balanced. This is not something new to our generation. John was writing to Christians who lived in a day like ours. In the first century, believers lived under the leadership of men like Nero, who married both a man publicly and several women. They lived just like you and I do when the foundations of home and virtue were being dismantled and dissolved through repeated divorce, immorality, adultery, homosexuality. And it was in that culture, like our culture, That John wrote in 1 John 3, Whosoever commits sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. You say, well, John was a very unloving apostle. No, he was known as the apostle of love. And you know one of the reasons he was was because he spoke the truth. Spoke the truth in love. When a culture arrives at the point where Isaiah said people will call evil good and good evil. John wrote, don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by that that exposure that brainwashing. You see, the standard of God's holiness has not shifted. Right is still right. Wrong is still wrong, according to the inspired record of scriptures. Now, we've like, we've like to add our little, our little extensions onto what the scripture says, our preferences, and we like to impose those on people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the Bible clearly states is right is still right. And what it clearly states is wrong is still wrong. And it's unloving not to speak the truth in those ways. In fact, to applaud unrighteousness doesn't make unrighteousness any less unrighteous. To to scoff at purity doesn't make purity any less pure. If you truly love God and others, Paul says you will not rejoice in sin. In fact, you will be grieved at sin. You will confess sin. You will forsake sin. You will hate the effects of sin. It will grieve you when someone's life is scarred by sin. You will not celebrate at it. You will not scoff at it. You will not laugh at it. You will be grieved by it. Have you ever heard a man proposing to his girlfriend and and saying, Sweetheart, I want to marry you and three other, three other women. There are those who say that, but we know that that's not true love, right? True love decides to abandon any other affection like that. 
And, and, and this is what Paul is wanting us to understand is that, that true love is loyalty to truth. True love rejoices not in sin. Doesn't say, I want sin and Jesus. John says, don't be deceived into thinking that God will happily get along with our unrepentant sin. He won't. And then thirdly, in this this section, true love doesn't delight. This is so important. True love doesn't delight in rehearsing and repeating sinful deeds of others. Church, please, please don't miss this. I agree with an author's commentary on this text when he wrote, one of the most common forms, listen, one of the most common forms of rejoicing in sin is gossip. Gossips would do little harm if they did not have so many eager listeners. This sin, which many Christians treat lightly, is wicked not only because it uncaringly reveals the weaknesses or sins of others and therefore hurts rather than helps them, but because the heart of gossip is rejoicing in evil. Did you get that? The heart of gossip is rejoicing in evil. The essence of gossip is gloating over the shortcomings and sins of others, which makes gossip a great sin in itself. No, I just want them to pray for them. Mm. Mm. Certainly can. What is it about our nature that says, hey, have you heard so-and-so, heard this, such-and-such about so-and-so? And by the way, that's never followed up with, did you hear they read their Bible through this year? Did you hear what a great mother she is? No, in our human nature, there's something about us in our sinful nature And I know what it is, pride, because we want people to think better of us. So if they think worse of someone else, they'll think better of us. Another author wrote, it's one of the strange traits of human nature that very often we prefer to hear of the misfortune of others rather than of their good fortune. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter writes, and above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. Notice this little praise for love shall cover the multitude of sins is that what gossip does no no gossip seeks to uncover the multitude of sins expose it the truth is we delight in gossip not only because of our corrupt hearts but because it it makes us feel better about our sins An anonymous author wrote these powerful words, I am gossip and I am nobody's friend. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength the older I am alive. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I wreck friendships and families. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights and heartaches. I make innocent people cry in their pillows. I make headlines and headaches. I am gossip. Pretty true, right? Be careful 
what you give ear to. True love doesn't take pride in repeating the shortcomings and failures of others. This is what James had in mind when he wrote in James chapter 3. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect or mature man. And able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we, we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small hand, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things, or causes great damage. Has The idea there is it has great power, even though it's small. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and birds and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But, get this, the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, that Sunday... And therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. That's Monday. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, say it with me, these things ought not so to be. Shouldn't be that way. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? either of vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. How many of you live with a sinner? Raise your hand. A failure. Live with them, yeah. I do too. Miss Kim is a sinner. Jared and Jordan and Jackson, they are sinners, and they live with a, a sinner. The man in the mirror is exactly right. The one I look at and shave every day. He reminds me of how much of a sinner I am. As Noel calls himself the chief, not the chief parishioner, the chief parish sinner. That's how he refers to himself to me. But we all do. But you know what? I love, I love Kim dearly. I love Jordan and Jared and Jackson as much as any human beings on the earth. I have no desire to, to publicize their shortcomings. Because that's not what love does. It, it doesn't want to uncover all of their sins to everybody. Do we deal with them? Absolutely. Do we talk about them amongst ourselves? Have I had to deal with some things with my, in my own life and with my sons and my daughter? Absolutely. But I don't come to church and publicize it. And by the way, neither should the body of Christ do that. We are the family of God. I, I don't take any pleasure when I know of a fault and a failure of my brother or my sister in this church and the struggles that they are having? Do we deal with them? Absolutely. Because love deals with sin. It doesn't rejoice in sin. But it also takes no pleasure 
and, and, and vocalizing it and airing out, airing out everybody's laundry. Hey, if you take great pleasure in airing out everybody else's faults and failures, you do not, my friend, have biblical love. And you need to ask God to produce that in you. If you take pleasure in hearing everybody else's failures and faults and the gossip around town, that is not a characteristic of supernatural God-like love. So Paul flips it over and then we're done. Not only does it not rejoice in iniquity and sin, but it rejoices in the truth. Wherever the truth is present and proclaimed, it rejoices and it mourns when truth is absent. If you truly love someone, you're going to desire that they walk with Christ according to his truth. Love is not love apart from truth. And the Apostle Paul often referred to truth and talked about truth. In Romans 3, 7, he, he refers to the truth of God. 2 Corinthians 6, Christ is called the minister of truth. Galatians 2, he refers to the truth of the gospel. He's all about the truth. Romans 1, we're told the unbeliever suppressed the truth of creation. Also Romans 1, the unbelievers exchanged the truth for a lie that nature is worthy of reverence and worship. And Paul challenges the believer to submit to the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Remember what he said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. I don't hate you. I love you. That's why if God ever calls you away from Jamestown, Tennessee, I beg of you to first and foremost find a church that stands on truth and doesn't call right wrong and wrong right and does it and proclaims it in a spirit of love. When I truly love people, we don't celebrate or excuse sin. We, we rejoice when they're walking in truth. That's why John wrote in 3 John Verses 1 through 4, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Again, this is speaking specifically of the church. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walked in the truth. I have no greater joy and I can certainly say this as, as a pastor, as a shepherd. I have no greater joy than to know that those, that our children, that those spiritual children walk in what? Truth. And, and certainly that's, that's true with our own children, right? That's not really what he's talking about in the context there, family children. He's talking about the church, but certainly it applies to our family. There's no greater joy than when our children are walking in truth. So love is honest, it doesn't lie to flatter, it doesn't lie to falsely protect. It loves truth, it rejoices in truth, and it delivers the authoritative truth in a loving way. And it doesn't seek, out to, seek to air out the dirty laundry, the, the sins, the failures, when others are tricked and trapped in sin. We are to mourn 
And we're to seek to love that person back into fellowship with God. That is our job. My brethren, if a man among you be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, don't go out and talk about them to everybody. You do what? Restore them. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one, considering your own self, lest you also be tempted and fall into that sin. Don't look at them in pride, in arrogance, in disdain, but rather in humility, realizing that you're a human being just like they are, and you may be the one needing to be restored someday. That's love, isn't it? Love rejoices not in sin, but it rejoices in the truth. Father, thank you for your love for us. It is the standard, and we are well aware by now that we will never we will never get there in this life. But we do have your spirit in us, and we do, through your spirit, have the ability to love in this supernatural way. And so, God, I pray that this would be characteristic of us within the body of Christ, that we would not rejoice in sin, that we would stand with truth, we would do it lovingly with conviction, we would have no desire to air out the sin of others, that sin would grieve us, and, Lord, that we would desire, most importantly, for people to be restored into fellowship with you who have been tricked and trapped in sin. Help us to do so considering our own selves, lest we be the one needing to be restored. Help us to do so in humility. Forgive us for arrogance and pride. Forgive us for talking about people. And forgive us, Lord, for listening to the gossip of other people that would hurt the person that is being talked about. Guard our hearts, guard our tongues, guard our minds. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And if that's your prayer, won't you say amen as well, church? Amen.